Thank you guys, you've done so well this morning. <laughs> they are both battling physically and they are great. Thank you. Thanks Mark for praying for our kids particularly as they headed out. You know, something about our kids that we always want them to try something new. So my beautiful daughter Alana is sitting there who doesn't want me to mention her name. Um, she tried something new this week. She gave me a haircut. This is the result. She's never cut hair in her life. Um, I think she did all right. See, it looks good. Yeah, right. My wife wasn't agreeing with that, but anyway. So, so if you're in need of a haircut, um, that's her in the middle right there. As Karen mentioned, we're, as we're going through this John series, uh, we're up to chapter 17, and you may already know this, but all of chapter 17 is a prayer. Um, it's a prayer that Jesus prayed. It's sort of split into three parts. And this morning, we're going to look at the first part, where Jesus prays for himself. Um, we know through the Scriptures, Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer. But very, very rarely in Scripture do we have a record of what he prayed. Um, so I think we need to pay attention to this. Th this. This is important and we will get a lot out of it. Um, so in John chapter 17, he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for all future believers. That's us. Um, so as we go through this in the next three weeks, pay attention to what Jesus is praying and so there's a sense in John's Gospel that we've been working up to this point. There's a sense that um, we've finally arrived at the crescendo when Jesus is going to do the thing that he came to do. And we know that in hindsight, we know it's, it's what we call the passion. It's the, it's, the, it's the arrest, it's the crucifixion, it's the death, it's the burial and the resurrection. And so we will get to that as we go through John's Gospel, but, but it feels like we've been building up to that. And today is a bit of a, a shift in gears, a shift in that narrative. So after Jesus has said all that he wanted to say, because remember if you've got one of those Bibles that has the red letters, which means it's Jesus talking, there has been a lot of red letters in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and now we're up to chapter 17. And Jesus finished chapter 16 after telling his disciples a whole heap of things, um, he says, I've told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, he says, but take heart, be encouraged, I have overcome the world. And that's how he finished chapter 16. And then we move into his prayer. So this is the prayer. So after Jesus had said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. 
So here he is, the first thing. Father, the hour has come. Now, if you've been journeying with us, you'll know that as we've journeyed through John's Gospel, many, many times we have heard Jesus say, the hour has not yet come. It's not yet arrived. In chapter 2, when he turned the water into the wine, he said, my hour has not yet come. In chapter 7, when he went to Jerusalem for one of the feasts, he says, my time has not yet come. Later in chapter 7, they tried to arrest him because of the things he was saying, but they couldn't arrest him because, John tells us, his hour had not yet come. When he was in Jerusalem at another time, he was um, teaching in the temple, and no one arrested him, even though he was saying things they didn't like. And again, we are told it's because his hour had not yet come. And then in chapter 12, we read, when he's sitting there, it's the start of Passover week, And he's with his disciples and he says to them, the hour has come that the Son of Man will be glorified. And he says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so when Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room and he's washed his feet and he's having the Last Supper, again he tells them that this is the hour. And so in today's passage, we start the first thing he says in his prayer is that the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. So the purpose of this prayer is that Jesus' whole intention in everything he does, even in his prayer, is that God would be glorified. And that's, I think, the first thing we can take out of this. When our prayers are aligned in such a way that the motive behind them is that God would be glorified, that's a pretty good place to start because that's what Jesus did. And I think there's a link. Now, some people would argue this is actually the Lord's Prayer, John chapter 17. Now, we all call the Lord's Prayer the one we probably grew up learning by rote, what we call the Our Father, which is recorded in Matthew's and Luke's Gospels, but that, that was the prayer Jesus gave his disciples to pray, but you know, we could say this is the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that the Lord himself is praying. But with echoes back to what we know as the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says to his disciples, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that word hallowed, it's an old-fashioned word, but essentially it's saying, Lord, we want to acknowledge how separate, holy, beautiful, awesome you are. And there's, a, there's an echo here, as Jesus, says, as Jesus says, I want you to be glorified, Father. There's this echo into the Lord's Prayer of, hallowed be your name. God, we want to declare who you truly are. And we can't explain it in words, The English language, I don't think any language adequately allows it, but there's this sense of, God, you you are beyond, separate, holy, other than what we understand ourselves. And we've got to keep note of that. Um, So, glorifying your son is this intimate relationship the Father has, and Jesus' real passion is that God would be glorified. Now, Glory. What is God's glory? I started to think about that. What do I know about God's glory? What do I understand about God's glory? 
I don't know what you're thinking right now, I struggled to, how do you explain the glory of God? What is that? Um, And I remember reading or watching or hearing, I don't know what it was, um, American pastor and, and author John Piper, I remember he explained it something like, God's glory is the is the radiance or the expression of his holiness, his, his, his otherness. Uh, so we say God is holy, but what does holy mean? Holy is set apart, different, different than. And, and, and maybe his glory is the, the expression of that. And so I remember when he was talking about this, he was talking about um, Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, that famous passage when Isaiah has this vision of God and the throne room and he says in this throne room there were these these angels called seraphim and they were just declaring to one another holy 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 is the Lord Almighty the whole earth is full of his now the words glory I would have thought holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty the whole earth is full of his holiness would make more sense if he's holy Maybe glory is the, the expression of God's holiness. I don't know how else to explain that. Um, I'd encourage you to dig into that um, somehow. But, but this, this idea, this, this, this splendour, this, this expression... Now, we can go through Scripture and we start seeing this picture that whenever God's actual presence was, was somewhere, there was this... There was this illumination there was this light there was this um sometimes it was masked in a cloud so you couldn't actually see god's expression um and i I was thinking as as you actually read these passages um eugene peterson in the message he translates the word glory as bright splendor bright splendor and so when we read the disciples John, James and Peter with Jesus at the Transfiguration, what happened? There was this bright illumination um, covering Jesus, it was his glory. Uh, Saul, when he was on his way to Damascus, met the risen Jesus, what, what did he encounter? This bright illumination that blinded him. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. So when we pray... And when we request, present our request to God that He will be glorified, we're actually aligning with God's will and God responds to that. Je- Jesus Himself in another prayer, Mark chapter 14. Jesus, this is a little bit further along in the story to where we find ourselves today. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and He's on His knees praying. Now remember, he's praying in John 17, glorify me so that I can give glory to you. This is his prayer in Mark 14. Jesus went a little bit further and fell to the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass by. Abba, Father, he cries out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me yet I want your will to be done, not mine. We've heard that before. I'm sure we have. 
But there's something about Jesus' prayer being aligned with the will and bringing glory to God the Father that, that enables the prayer to be fulfilled and that glory to be revealed. Prayer is not about our will being done. It's not about having our shopping list of things we want. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is actually this, the, the way Jesus models it, it's this intentional cooperation with God so that God's will is accomplished. Let's go back to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. We see that again. So, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the same, it's the same thing. Jesus is not modelling for us to pray, God, can you give me my will? I want my will to be done. Please do my will. I want my wants, my desires, my preferences. And unfortunately, I'll speak for me, not for you, too many of my prayers are me-centred. And you wonder why, God, why aren't you answering these prayers? Jesus is modelling for us today that when our prayers are aligned with the will of God, then God, God moves in that space. Jesus continually taught and encouraged his disciples to align their wills with his. It's been right through what we've been looking at. Let me jump back to John chapter 15. Let's keep this in mind. Jesus is asking the disciples to go to say, hey guys, when you align with me, when your thinking's like mine, when your will is aligned with mine, when your prayers are aligned up with mine, guess what God's going to do? Let's read it. Starting in verse 4, he says, Remain in me and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I'm finding the further we're going into John's Gospel, the more the previous stuff we've looked at is making sense. And so here's Jesus saying to his disciples back in chapter 15, when you are so aligned with me, the things you will be asking the Father for are the very things I would be asking the Father for. And because Jesus and the Father are one, Jesus is only ever going to ask the Father for the things that align with the Father's will, the things that will bring glory to the Father. And so Jesus is saying, so when, when you understand that principle, when, when you are in me, Jesus is saying, then you also will be aligning your will, your requests, your desire for the Father to be glorified, so that whatever you ask is going to be granted because this is what the Father's will is. Now, we can sit there and go, okay, that all sounds really beautiful. It's not my lived experience. There are prayers I pray that I think are in line with God's will. There are prayers I pray that I think would bring glory to God if, if the thing would happen. But they don't always seem to happen the way I think they should. What's with that? 
No, God, God, God can't be manipulated. It's, it's not this. It's not this. If I just say the words properly, then the outcome's going to be guaranteed. It's not that. I don't have an answer why sometimes, like we, we could pray for healing for someone and we think hey, it would be God's will for that person to be whole and restored and healed. And we pray for healing and the healing doesn't happen in the way we imagine it, it should. Yeah, what, what's, what's with that? What, why, why is that the outcome? There's not a simple answer to that. But what I do know is when we take God's Word and we align it with the person and character of Jesus and what He's modelled and what He said and what He's taught and what He's done and what He commands, that there's, there's life in that in a way that we can't understand that either. But, but there's, not, there's not just this one plus one plus one equals three and we're always going to get this, this nice comfortable outcome. That's not our lived experience because we live in a broken world and we might think we've got pure motives but maybe we don't or maybe God's up to something that is so much better for the, the fulfilment of many, many people that we can't see past our own little circumstance. Oh, I don't know the answers to those things. But I'm encouraged that we can be in Jesus just like Jesus is in the Father and what we can pray for, can be aligned with God's will and bring glory to the Father. But what we see in this prayer is that Jesus' prayer has been answered because we know that he ascended to go back to the Father. We know that he is currently seated at the right hand of the Father, even when, when Stephen was stoned, that first martyr for the faith. He, as he was being killed by these religious leaders, he's looking up and he's saying, I'm seeing, I am seeing the Son of Man, I'm seeing Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Jesus had ascended back to his place of glory, just like he prayed in this prayer. And Jesus is praying for you and I. We read in Hebrews 7, he is at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Jesus asked to be glorified in this prayer today because he had completed all the work the Father had given him to do. And the main part of that work is that those that the Father had given him, he had given eternal life to. Eternal life. Now, many of you in this room would know my wife, Tanya. Many of you have spent some time with her, many of you had conversations with her, I would, I would guarantee none of you know Tanya like I know Tanya. Why do I know Tanya in a way that none of you do? Well, there's something about our relationship that's different to the relationship you have. There's an intimacy, there's a knowledge, there's a... Um, a history, there, there's, a, there's a joining that, that none of you share with my wife, thankfully. <laughs> this, this eternal life that Jesus is talking about in this prayer is a knowing, an intimacy and a knowing that is so deep. 
It's not a knowing about, it's a knowing. Eternal life is to know God and Jesus Christ. It's this personal relationship. For the way, to, for, the way for us to know God, for the, way, for the way for us to know the Father is to know Jesus in an intimate, close, faithful relationship. Let's go back a little bit to what Jesus has already uncovered in chapter 14. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip, one of the disciples, said, Lord, just show us the Father and that will be enough. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? He continues on, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, rather it's the Father living in me, doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going back to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. There it is again. Jesus has been saying this over and over and over and over and we're getting to chapter 17 now where he's praying this now. The same thing as he's been saying. And the one reason why the Christian faith stands apart from all other religions or philosophies or paths to God is because the only way to know God, to be in right relationship with him, is through Jesus If we know Jesus, we know the Father. Too many of us can appease our our, our thinking with the thought that I know about God. I know a heap of stuff about God. But do we know the Father in that intimate, loving relationship that we have through Jesus? There's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God. There's a big difference between knowing about someone and really knowing someone. And I spent too long, too many years, professing as a Christian when I did not have an intimate relationship with Jesus. I knew a lot of stuff about God. I could talk about God, I could tell you some things about God and about the Bible, but did not have that relationship with Jesus. Too many of us can be in that position and we go through the motions and we turn up at places like this and we try to be good people because we've got these ideas about God but we don't know Him. If we can get anything out of this morning, can I encourage you know Jesus. So I want to finish today where we started this journey, this journey in John's Gospel. I want to go back to chapter 1. So with everything we've talked about today, with everything 
talking about, well, what is his glory? You know, possibly it's this, 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 the expression of his holiness. It's this illumination. It's this, this beauty. We've talked about eternal life. We've talked about the Father and the Son being one and us being invited into that very relationship ourselves. Let's look right back at the beginning, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was God. So the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's only five verses that we looked at today. And it's just five verses where Jesus was directing his prayer to the Father about himself before he turns to start praying for his disciples. And we'll look at that next week. But in this short prayer this morning, my prayer for us, my prayer for you and myself, is that we would, we would just get a glimpse of the relationship Jesus has with the Father, of, of the way Jesus, the man on earth, his only desire was to be obedient to the Father, to be connected to the Father, and that the Father would be glorified. That was his only desire. If we could just do that, if we could be obedient to what he calls us to do in the way we do life together, in the way we, we connect with him and others, and by doing that, knowing that when we're obedient to what he's called us to do, then we're aligning with his will, and when we're aligning with his will, the Father is glorified. That's worth pursuing together. Let me pray for us as we do that. So, Father God, I thank you that you, we've got a little, a little sample of what it means for, for you to be praying, to have a glimpse into the prayer you offer to your Father. And as we've briefly looked at this morning, I just pray that we would have the courage, we would have the desire, we would have... The, the support from one another to step into the kind of life you are modelling right here. It is an intimate relationship. It is a faithful dependence on you. It is that, that closeness of the, the branch into the vine. And when that is our posture before you, God, we just ask that, that our will would be aligned with yours, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in our lives, in our world as it is in heaven. And when we step into that God, the outcome of that is that you would be glorified, that you would be honoured, 
that all praise would go to you because of who you are, not because of anything about us. Would you help us in that through your spirit? Would you give us a greater desire to be in relationship with you? Would you, would you remove barriers and obstacles and opposition that prevents us from stepping into that? Because our heart and our desire, we want that to be aligned with the prayer of Jesus today, that you would be glorified in all things. And we thank you. Amen.